Welcome to the Circle of Birth podcast. I'm your host and advocate, Ali Kranz. These podcasts are here to gather stories, people and information to better our understanding of the wisdom of birth and how we can reclaim our connections to birth from conception and beyond. You will hear stories not only from Australia but from all over the world, bringing together women, partners, midwives, doulas and all the people that have a birth story to share. So jump right in for this next Circle of Birth story. So today's podcast, I'm talking to Tanya Strasberg and she is a certified Lamar's childbirth educator. In fact, she is like the pioneer of Lamar's in Australia. Um, so if you listen to her story, she'll tell you her ter- two birth journeys. Uh, really interesting to hear about birth in Israel and the support systems there and how she became to become into Lamar's. And I'm pretty sure I kept saying Lamay's throughout this um, podcast. I don't know why. Um, but really interesting stories, beautiful birth journeys and a great person. Enjoy. Hi, Tanya, and welcome to the Circle of Births. Thank you so much for taking your time and coming to share your two birth stories with us. Thank you for having me, Ali. Lovely to be here. No problem. Now, we'll start off with if you just tell us a bit about yourself and the work that you're doing and then we can go and kick straight into your stories. You've got a son who is seven and a daughter who is six years old. Is that right? Correct, yes. Great. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so I, um, as I said, you've just said, I've got two ch- beautiful children, um, son and a daughter. Um, I, um, oh, gosh, what can I tell you? So, look, I certainly didn't um, ever imagine that I would end up working in this field as a as a childbirth educator and a trainer and I guess all round birth you know advocate, um, I you know I had worked for many many years um, in the performing arts actually that was what I sort of um, did straight out of school and you know all through my twenties pretty much um, and um, and I think that's what I thought I would always do. Um, I ended up, um, I was actually born and raised in Hong Kong of all places. My parents lived over there for many, many years. Um, and so I didn't really actually, I didn't come to Australia to live until I was in, I think I was 23 when we moved here. Um, so it was a very, it was very new for me. Um, I didn't grow up here, didn't have friends here, really have any professional kind of connections. Um, I sort of ended up spending about the next sort of 10 years or so really um, working, you know, in the Australian arts industry, which was amazing and, you know, very exciting and um, um, enjoyable work. Um, I think, though, what was this real turning point for my life and I guess the direction that, you know, it ended up going in um, was my decision to move overseas and um and moved to Israel, <laughs> of all places, <laughs> bit of a globetrotter. Um, so I, I packed my bags, quit my job, put all my stuff in storage and just said, right, I'm off to go and live in Israel, which I did when I was 30. I think I had my midlife crisis a little bit younger than most people. Um, so I ended up finding myself there. I did have some friends. I did have some extended family that I had never met until I got there, um, but ended up, I think, you know, I guess proverbially and, you know, and, and, and realistically, I actually ended up finding myself there of all places. I think I really, um, I needed to take that complete, you know, exit from my life to really work out who I was and what I wanted to do with my life. And, um, and at that point, I was still very much, I guess, working, you know, in an arts sort of environment. But um, I guess not long after I was, I moved there, I ended up meeting, who now my husband um, of uh, about eight and a bit years, but um, you know we met and you know my life kind of went boom 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 boom. Literally, we met, we got married eight months after we met. We had our son, a, you know, a year later. We had our daughter a year after that. So I kind of went from being this, you know, happy go lucky, you know, footloose, fancy free, single chick, um, to just being married with two children, and in the space of like literally two and a bit years, it was crazy. Midlife um, crisis over. Oh yeah, did I come down with a thump? <laughs> so uh, reality hitting me square in the face. Um, so, um, but I guess the the the, the 
um, the full circle that I, I ended up coming to, and I guess this is really how I ended up becoming involved in in uh, in work with birth and or pregnancy and birth, is um, when I was expecting my son, who one who he's he's seven now. Um, my husband and I attended a Lamaze class in Jerusalem. I was really super keen to find, um, you know, an antenatal class in English, even though my Hebrew is pretty good. I just, you know, the only thing on offer in, you know, was really the hospital classes, which are as bad in Israel as they are everywhere else in the world, to be honest. Um, and I didn't want to go down that route. So, you know, I asked around a few friends who'd had children and they said, oh, you've got to go to this uh, this woman in Jerusalem. She's like, she's it. She's the only person you, you know, you need to go to. Um, um, a woman called Rochelle Osterin who had, you know, originally was, um, uh, um, I think, from – Zimbabwe or yeah um and via America and it ended up settling in Israel many many years earlier but she was a native English speaker and an extremely experienced childbirth educator she'd by that point had already been teaching for about 28 years um so she was amazing and it had a really powerful impact on me and I think my husband as well in terms of preparing us um you know for the birth of our first child um so yeah I just I think it was I really think I I can kind of nail that particular experience of doing that class as a pregnant woman expecting her first baby as being I think a massive um kind of catalyst for me um for then deciding that this is what I really need to do with my life if that kind of makes any sense at all so was yeah. there uh, many locals partaking in the course um she was. Well, she used to do lovely, small, intimate classes at her home. So we would be, you know, usually it would be five or six couples. Um, she definitely attracted a very, very diverse um, group of of people. So usually it would be at least one of the couple would be a native English speaker, um, which is why I guess they'd be they'd be seeking out, um, you know, English language childbirth education. Um, I mean, she wasn't the only one in Israel, but she certainly had a really, you know. A, amazing reputation um but she often worked with couples where one partner was israeli one was an english speaker um she also um was well known for sort of teaching lots of uh diplomats and um foreign you know media people who were based in you know as middle east correspondents and stuff so she always had very interesting people um and in fact what what was what was one of them i think most interesting things that for Rochelle really changed her direction um, as an educator was that at one point she had um, a couple in her class who were Palestinian um, and they were desperate to find childbirth education and couldn't find anything in Ramallah, which was the city they were living in. So they decided to book in with, uh, with Rochelle's class. Um, and this woman, um, woman called Shadon sort of came to her afterwards and said, you know, this experience for me was just, was mind blowing. I want to be able to give women in my community this opportunity. Like we don't have childbirth education like this. It doesn't exist, you know, in, um, in the Palestinian, uh, territories. So, um, Rochelle thought about that for a long time and then decided that she would, um, she would herself become accredited as a program director and a trainer through Lamaze International. And she launched the first Lamaze educator training in Israel that had ever existed. Um, so I was part of her very first group. And Shadon, who was when I, you know, she wasn't in my class when we were pregnant, although our sons are about the same age, actually. Um, but we, we met in that class and, and the group that she had in that very first pilot program, I mean, in a sense, we were kind of like a, a microcosm of Israel. I mean, we had... Jewish, we had Arab, we had religious, we had secular, we had really young women with, you know, young children, and we had a woman who was already a grandmother of about eight kids, eight grandchildren. So we just wow. spanned everything. And I mean, it, you know, the, the course was both, I don't know, it just, it, it blew all of us away, just what we were learning. And, but I think what we shared together as a group of women studying that, and we, I think we all had this sense, um, that what we were doing was really, really important, you know, important for us as women, important for our, our community, important for the communities we were serving in Israel. At that point, I wasn't, I hadn't actually, we hadn't planned to move back to Australia by that point. So I was quite, you know, focused on how I could build um, a practice as an independent childbirth educator in Israel where I was living. But, um, you know, fate's 
a very strange thing. <laughs> and um, uh, shortly after I um, certified um, with Lamar's International, my husband and I decided that we uh, we wanted to move to Australia. For me, it was moving home, even though I hadn't really I hadn't really lived in Australia for about ten years. Um, it's a long, long time, and for him, he'd never even been to Australia, so it was a huge, huge shift for us. Um, but we came back, and we came with our kids when they were um, almost. Just trying to remember. I think my daughter was almost two, and my son was almost three. So, yeah. So we, yeah, that was four and a bit years ago. Yeah. Okay. So basically, you brought Lamar's into Australia. Well, yeah, unintentionally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I landed and and you know thought, okay, well, I'm not going to set my business up in Israel, so I'll set it up here instead. You know, and I'm just assumed that there would be. Um, a group of Lamar's educators all over the place because it's a, it's a very, um, you know, widely known childbirth education. I mean, it's probably the oldest childbirth education program in the world. It's been around for over 50 years um, and it's evolved, obviously, considerably over time. Um, but there are there are Lamar's educators literally practicing on, you know, all, all, all parts of the globe. But um, I looked up the International Directory of Educators and I was just gobsmacked when I realized that there were, there were no other um, you know, educators here in Australia. So I, I guess, yeah, completely unintentionally, I, I brought it here. Um, and, um, you know, hopefully in the, in the near future, I won't be the only one practicing because I've also started to train Lamar's educators here, which is really, really exciting. So, um, yeah. Mm, so there was a reason why you met Rochelle. I'd say. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And we're seeing, we're, we're seeing each other in, um, in October, actually, because Lamar's have a conference every year in a different uh, city in America. Um, and we've both been invited to speak at the conference this year, which is really lovely. Um, so we're sharing a room together at a hotel. We're so excited to see each other. Like, you know, I was just, I was just, you know, a pregnant mum in her class. And we've both kind of gone on this amazing journey kind of um, in, in parallel, but quite bizarrely. Um, and um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to see yeah. her again. Yeah. So back to your pregnancy with your son. Mm. Um, so you joined the Lamars with Rochelle. Yeah. Um, now, how did you go with your pregnancy and the support that you got from the midwives in the system or the uh, doctors or obstetricians or what you chose to do? Yeah. So the the, um, the maternity care system in Israel, in general, healthcare in Israel is a is a completely socialised uh, national healthcare system. So, I mean, not dissimilar to Medicare here, and but it's it's much much wider there like there really doesn't exist there's no private maternity for example that just doesn't exist full stop um so everybody's through the national healthcare system it's completely free you, you know money does not exchange hands for any services whatsoever which is a good thing um and you are primarily cared for by um by midwives throughout pregnancy you kind of you go to your like local health clinic for your antenatal checkups um, you wouldn't go to the hospital, for example. You you literally, if you're going to give birth in hospital, you just rock up there when you're in labour. Um, but all the antenatal checks are just done with your local in your local health clinic. Um, and um, I think you know, I to be honest, I I probably saw an obstetrician. Uh, I don't know, maybe two times in the whole pregnancy for you know for scans and stuff like that. So it was it was nice low tech care, which I appreciated um I was 30 uh ooh, hang on 36 when I when I had my son and 37 when my daughter was born so by Israeli standards I was actually a bit of an old mum because um I guess culturally over there women tend to have their babies um quite a lot younger particularly in the religious communities and I'm not religious but you know religious Jewish women religious Arab women are definitely starting their families in their very early 20s so to get to 35 you know you know another woman in the community might be on baby number eight or nine by that point um so they kind of looked at me a bit odd, like, oh, you know, 36 and this is the first one. Um, but um, look, I think for the most part, I was really lucky. I had a really, really good pregnancy, quite textbook. Um, I was so blessed with both of them. I didn't have a day of morning sickness with either. And I know there are mums out there who hate me for that. Um, but to be honest, I if I hadn't taken the, you know, the the pee stick test, I wouldn't have known I was pregnant. Like I had no symptoms whatsoever. Um, and, um, 
Yeah, look, I think um, there, there were only – with my son, I think there were, there were two things that stood out for me that um, – I think I'll always remember and in, in the in the sense of not not being particularly positive memories but one uh, and actually they both involved the obstetrician that I saw a handful of times um so the first one was um I I had done a little bit of reading up about um antenatal testing and I was really quite adamant that I you know I wanted just to do um what they call the triple test which is just a blood test it's non-invasive it gives you some statistical analysis about your risk for your baby having um a chromosomal um you know um abnormality um particularly things like down syndrome and I thought okay I'm just going to look at the results and I'm going to make you know I I'm going to think about it further if I need to think about it further but I didn't want to do anything uh more than that and certainly I was very averse to doing amniocentesis and um so I remember going to the doctor <clears throat> at some point um in the in the pregnancy I said okay well you know can you can you give me you know the referral for the blood test because I want to do that the triple test screening and he looked at me he's like well you know you missed the first round of tests and i said well no and he says well no it's it's much too late to do that you're already you know middle of your second trimester um he says you know i just assumed you were going to do amnio i said why would you assume that he says oh you know because you're, you're 36 as if to, you know as if i was like 90 years old um and i was just in in that moment i was so incensed because first of all he had made you know an assumption about my care and more importantly he had robbed me of m me being able to make choices about my my pregnancy and in the end what i what i did was i took the second round of tests which you know you're supposed to compare first trimester and second trimester tests i know all this in, you know, in hindsight mm -hmm. <laughs> i didn't know it at the time um and i and i remember just sitting there with only one set of blood tests and just just that anger of like, you know, you really, you know, you've made this decision really difficult for me now because I'm not, I'm not working with the full picture here. Um, but my instinct um, kicked in and I think, I just remember thinking, no, everything is fine. I know I'm fine. I know my baby's fine. And I just, um, and I refused and he was just, he could see how kind of pissed off he was, to be honest, that I hadn't just done what he assumed I was going to do. Um, um, and that same doctor, I remember coming in and sort of saying to him, asking him a question about something, and he looked at me square in the eye and he just said, you know what your problem is? You read too much. Wow. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> what can I say about that, yeah. you know? So, um, oh, look, he had, he had a bone to pick about, you know, my age. He had a bone to pick about my weight, you know, all, the, all these sort of things. I mean, if he could find something to kind of, you know, um, you know, I suppose make me feel worried or stressed about my pregnancy. He was kind of determined to do it. But thankfully, because he wasn't a private obstetrician, he wasn't my primary care provider, I really had very little to do with him. He certainly wasn't at the birth or anything like that. So I just, you look, I just try to shake it off really. And uh, But it look, it upset me. It really, really upset me at the time. And I remember it just, it really shook my confidence. Um and um but in the end um what happened with me was that i i went really 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 late i was um really at the i was at the end of the end of 42 weeks um no sign of this um baby that we we nicknamed bumper which is a um it's a snack it's a, it's a it's a peanut snack in israel but he just he looked like a little piece of bumper in the ultrasound so we called him bumper so i'm like bumper's not coming he's just he's not coming um and um i remember going to just a, a checkup at the clinic um you know i was one day shy of being at the end of 42 weeks and they did a little quick ultrasound and they saw that there was basically no amniotic fluid left and uh you know you know full very full-term baby not a big baby they no nobody freaked me out saying oh you've got you know the, the big baby thing um but they were a bit concerned about um the fact that you know there wasn't any fluid and i had really got to the end of 42 weeks to be honest i think if i had had him here in australia um they would have been pushing induction a good week before this this point they really did want to just wait and wait and wait and, and hope that I went into spontaneous labor. 
Um, and I didn't. Um, you know, I didn't. And um, who's to say, look, if he would have come another day later or two days later, we, we don't know. But again, I think, you know, when it's your first baby, um, I think no matter how well prepared you are, how much, you know, education you've done and reading and and. I think we're pretty universal as first-time mothers and that we we are worried and we do stress and, and when somebody tells us that something's not right, we, we tend to freak out a little bit. Especially um, when you've got a um, doctor telling you that you read too much. And- mm-hmm. So um, I was a bit, yeah, I was, a, I was a bit stressed about everything and then they just said, you know, I, I literally went from the – from the clinic, they said, no, no, you're not going home. We, we know we've called ahead to the hospital and they're expecting you just need to go straight there. And I was like, what, 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 what? So, my, you know, my husband was with me, so we went together. But, you know, I remember calling the doula and saying, um, okay, um, <laughs> you're going to need to meet us there. And um, So you had you hired a doula? Yes. Yeah. And yes. that's common um, over there to have it, a doula? It's interesting. It, look, it's, um, it's probably a little bit more... Um, what known and sort of in, um, accepted there than I would say here. Although doulas are definitely grow, growing in, in oh, you know, like I guess the awareness of the benefits of, of having a doula are growing here. But in Israel, I think it was um, there's, there's a reason um, culturally why doulas or you know they known as other names there, but um, are becoming more popular. And that's largely also because of you know the religious considerations of um, of women there um, in within. Certainly, I can't really talk so much about um, Muslim cultures, but um, I would I would imagine there'd be some real similarities with um, issues of modesty and so forth. But in in the Jewish religion, if a, if a woman, if a couple are religious, there comes usually a certain point in her labor where her husband can't be with her. He can't support her uh, physically and he can't some, sometimes can't even be in the room. So there is an absolute need for female labour support other than the midwifery care. So it is normal and standard that uh, women have, you know, and it may not be somebody she's paid for. It might be her mother. It might be a woman in the community who's known as like the birth lady type of thing. But it's very, very normal and common. Um, So, yeah, no, but I hired a, a, a fabulous um, doula um, who ended up actually being the same doula we used to the, the next year for my daughter um, and um, so she met us there and I think what I wasn't prepared for with, with induction was just how long it was going to take um, I was induced on a, on a Thursday afternoon um, and I, you know, they started with the, um, with basically Cervidil, you know, uh, uh, suppository, um, prostaglandin suppository. And then they used the gel about 12 hours later. And then they did another one after that and nothing. I mean, I was, I had no cervical dilation. There was like nothing. So that's probably the worst type of induction, uh, to go through when you're literally going from zero. Um, which I guess, and again, hindsight, I look and I think, well, clearly I just wasn't ready to go into labor. Um, so it was an uphill, uh, struggle all the way, really. Um, yeah. So, um, basically I think the induction methods just became more and more invasive and it wasn't long before they, um, hooked me up to an IV with, um, or Pitocin, but it's Syntocin in here. Um, and that was that was really difficult. That was, to be honest, quite excruciating. I didn't have any pain relief. Um, they insisted on continuous monitoring, so but they you know agreed to let me sit into in a chair rather than lying on the bed. So I remember just sitting in this chair and I wasn't yet in a birthing suite because I wasn't in labor. So they had me in a little kind of curtained off uh, section you know, in the kind of what would be here you'd have as the sort of the assessment area, the triart, whatever. Um, so, you know, no privacy. It w- wasn't in a room of my own. And it was me and my husband and my daughter all squished in this tiny little space which wasn't much wider than the, the bed itself. And just I just will never forget just sitting in that chair with these bloody feet, you know, these, you know, CTG machine just strapped to my belly with this Pitocin running through my veins causing these, unbelievably um painful contractions um and just no one coming no one you know helping me no one supporting me other you know obviously my my own you know my labor support um and eventually there was (laughs) there was a midwife who was in another room who heard me probably screaming the the you know 
the roof down, um, who came in and just said, this is ridiculous. She's, I'm just taking, I'm taking you off this. This is just ridiculous. Um, and bless her. I mean, she just, she really, she put me out of, you know, um, incredible amount of discomfort. Um, I wish, you know, to be honest, I was just think I was thinking about this, you know, before we, we talked and I thought, Oh God, you know, my, I'm, I, I don't have this amazing kind of, um, you know, empowering, beautiful birth story to share. Um, but then I guess I thought about it again and I thought, you know what, there's so many women who, whose experiences are exactly like mine. Um, and I don't know if you've ever read these stories, you know, the, the, these columns sometimes in magazines, which is, you know, what I what I wish I could tell my teenage self type of thing. So I was thinking, you know, what I could tell about my pregnant self looking back, you know, with a little bit of hindsight and a whole lot more um, education and knowledge now. Um, yeah. And I just think all the things I just would have done differently Um but, you know, look, this labor kind of went on and on. As I said, it started on a Thursday. He actually wasn't born until Saturday morning. Um, this was a long labor. Wow. Um, but, again, look, saying that, look, it wasn't, it certainly wasn't all bad. I ended up with an epidural, which, you know, um, to be honest, was probably the best thing that I could have had in that labor. I was so tired and so, um, you know, so uncomfortable. Um, but... To be honest, I think, uh, again, had I had him here in Australia, after, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 hours of, you know, nothing much happening, um, they would have said, you know, failure to progress, let's wheel you into surgery and have a cesarean. No question about it, especially my age and, you know, everything. I was classic, um, classic. Uh, since you know cesarean scenario um but to their credit in israel they were really really averse to that to them that was like that was last resort that was if we did you know if we have clear signs of fetal distress of course we'll do something but if mum and baby are okay we're just going to keep going so i'm very grateful for that because having a cesarean was like you know the, the last thing on earth that i i wanted um and you know i had great emotional support if not um if not if they could you know look they couldn't help me with a lot of things but they certainly helped to keep my emotional morale up which was huge um and and i think the thing that really made ultimately the, the biggest difference for me was i had um there was one midwife who interestingly enough she was the midwife on shift at the very beginning when i when i came in for the induction and she was back on shift when i was you know in the final hours of this you know marathon labor and she was from England she was from the north of England and she had a really northern English like Geordie accent which was so weird in Israel like everyone around me was Israeli and you know strong Hebrew um you know Israeli accents and there was this one woman who you know she was just I, I swear like she I swear she had you know wings coming out of her back she was my my angel and um and she came she said to me oh my god she says you're still here she goes, let's get this baby out now. Um, and um, by that point, you know, I don't know how many hours. It's probably well over 30 hours of labor by that point. And um, I didn't know this until after he was born. But my husband said, you know how in labor sometimes we just we just completely, you know, have huge memory lapses. Um, and there are definitely chunks of this labor that I have zero memory about. Um, and one of them was that the doctor um, had come in and he was already like the OR was prepped. He was scrubbed. He was already gowned up and everything. He was ready to just go. Like they had said enough is enough is enough. Um, this woman needs a cesarean. This baby needs to come out. And Polly, who was the midwife um, with me at that point at the very end, she just I remember she kind of leaned over she whispered in my ear and she said to me, and she was quite tough by this point, she said, you know what? She goes, you have five minutes to get this baby out or you're going to have a cesarean. And she goes, now I need you to push. And I did, I had an epidural. I had no pushing urges. I feel nothing. I didn't know where he was in my body. I didn't know what was going on. And I was on my back. I mean, it was just like every, every card was stacked against me. Um, 
But something in the in the way she said or the urgency, I don't know, but something just my instinct kicked in. I'm like, damn, I've got to get this kid out of me. And I just remember just pushing as if I my life depended on it, literally. And um and I and he just he came out like I, I, I you know, I remember the doctor came in right at the very end and literally, you know, his head was out, shoulders were presenting and the doctor's like his jaw dropped and he was just like, oh my God. He said, how, how did that, I literally left the room for a minute and this baby's here. And, um, and he was shocked. He was absolutely convinced that this, you know, you know, cesarean was the way to go. Um, so he was, he was amazed and, um, and out he came and you know what? He was, he was in great shape. He had a good APGAR score. He was, he was really, you know, good hearty cry, good color. The only thing that, you know, was pretty evident after, after he was born and the placenta came out was the placenta was just you know, it had given up the ghost a long time ago. It was the midwife showed me it was calcified. It was really, it was like gray. So, you know, maybe perhaps in hindsight, the induction, I mean, I don't doubt that it was the right way to go because I think certainly looking at the placenta, I could see he was not getting the nutrients that he needed from it. And he was fine that day, but who knows how he would have been the next day, for example. So we, you never know. Um, but you know, look at the end of the day, yes, it was a really long and tough labor. Um, I had literally every intervention under the sun bar the cesarean, but yeah, sorry, go ahead. How were those moments for you after all going through all of that and all those Mm. hours when he came out? Did you, how was that for you, that feeling? Oh, I think that there's a photo. Actually, I didn't send it to you. I might send it to you after yes, having please. told this story. But there was the first photo that was taken after he was born, and um, and and our and our doula took it. And it's me and my husband. And my, you actually can't see my son, but he is he's there. I'm I'm holding him, and the two of us look. I swear to God, we look absolutely shell shocked. Um, there's just this look on and our, our expressions are almost identical. It's really a bit strange and uncanny, but we both look like we'd come out of a war zone. Um, so I think initially I felt really, really wiped. Like, like my body had never been any, been through anything like that in my life. But saying that, um, I mean, I, I think this is a testament to how unbelievably amazing the female body is because um, we were left for at least a good hour, which was beautiful. We had more than an hour just just with us and the baby and, and everything and everyone cleared out of the room. And then eventually <clears throat> midwife came back in to see how we were doing um, and sort of said, would you like to get up? Would you like to go and have a shower? And you'd think after that, marathon getting up would have been the last thing I'd be able to do or even want to do but I was amazed at how normal I felt I got out of the bed the epidural had well and truly weared off so I was really normal and steady on my feet remember going having a shower and just thinking Jesus I'm glad that's over (laughs) but um you know I, I recovered physically actually very very quickly um and I also um I think, you know, apart from having the normal sort of um, classic baby blues, um, uh, you know, given I think I would have been a reasonably good candidate for, you know, um, some anxiety or postnatal depression, I really didn't. I think I came out of it very well. I had really good postnatal support through friends. Sadly, I didn't have my family there. My mum was here in Melbourne. Um, So I didn't have immediate family, which would have been lovely. Um, My husband, bless him, and his family are lovely. He's got three brothers, but at that point, none of them were married or had kids. And, like, there was nobody on his side who was, you know, practical help with a new baby. Um, But, yeah, despite that, I actually did feel very well supported there's a there's an amazing organization in israel which is now actually here in australia in melbourne and sydney i believe um 
Over here, it's known as Caring Mums or Mum to Mum, depending on which city you're in. Um, and it's a program that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, was um, originated in the States and then was piloted in Israel um, quite a few years ago. And basically what it is, is it, it's a volunteer program um, comprising of women who are themselves experienced mums. And you get matched with, you know, a surrogate mother, um, somebody who, you know, just you really connect with, um, you know, really well. And she will come and visit you one day a week um, for the whole first year of your baby's life. And she can be your friend. She can be your kind of stand-in mum if you don't have a mother around. Um, you know, she can be more like your grandmother if you kind of want that influence. She can be somebody who gives you advice on newborn care or just somebody to talk to or someone to go for a walk in the park with it really the relationship you build is entirely up to you as as um as mum and volunteer and i was matched with this amazing lady um from originally from the uk and um and she was a huge part of my life for that first year you know and um just having somebody who you know every week came to visit me if there were days when i just looked exhausted she'd say right you know you go to bed i'm going to look after your son for you know a couple of hours um and i think you know i just yeah i just wish everybody had that kind of support because i don't know without it i probably wouldn't have had uh such an, an easy time of it so yeah i think despite that and despite you know tough beginning i i kind of embraced motherhood you know and i was just so excited to have a baby you know at all that um yeah it, and he was a really really good you know very easy laid back little baby and he's still a laid back little boy I mean yeah, he has his moments <laughs> but he, he his personality today is is really no different to when he came out wow uh, that's amazing about that program mm. um is it and that's uh, that's exists worldwide that you know um i look i think it's growing i know that it originated as a study i'm pretty sure at harvard university and then it trialed um with a joint research project with the hebrew university in jerusalem and and so when i took advantage of it it was still in its sort of study phase um and over there it's called emla m which is just hebrew for mother to mother and then when I moved back to Melbourne, um, I was really thrilled to see that the program had expanded to here. So in Melbourne, it's called Caring Mums. And in Sydney, I believe it's called Mum to Mum. Um, so if anybody wants to look that up, um, you know, it's it's available for mothers. It doesn't matter, you know, what your background is, where you're from. I mean, they, they have a limited catchment area because it depends on the volunteers that they've got and the areas they can service. Um, but really, the only criteria is that it's a mum who needs that extra support, you know, and and it might be because she doesn't have her own mum or close family around. She might be a single mother. Really, they they don't they don't put a lot of a great deal of um, you know limits or barriers on who who can qualify for this support. And I think it's it's an amazing amazing program. I want one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'll put that in the resources too. I'll have a look at that. Yeah, one. and if I, I'll, I'll, I'll have a look at the links for you. I'll be able to send them to cool. you. So, yeah. Now, just before we go into your daughter's birth, um, the with that five-minute pushing or three-minute pushing, yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you get any tearing or was it all no, fine no down tearing. there? <laughs> no well. tearing at all. And he, did, he just shot out the end of it. He must have heard too. Yeah, I, I I think so. I, I absolutely think so. And um, but it's, it's amazing though. I think you know the birth, birth memories just fascinate me. And I I just know that you know I I could have dementia when I'm you know, 94 years old. I will be able to tell that story in exactly the same amount of detail because and I'll be able to remember that you know Polly's face, who was the, the English midwife. Um, cause there was so many, I do have memory blanks, you know, I, even now my husband says, how do you not remember that bit? Like, how do you like, you know, I'm like, I don't remember. I actually, I have no memory of huge chunks of it. Um, and I, I don't know, really, I, I really think about that. I think was that, is that self-preservation? Is that, is that, I don't know, the, the body kind of just, um, uh, eliminating anything that's unnecessary so that it can, you know, do the work it needs to do without being distracted. I don't know, but um, 
I just I've never been more determined in my entire life than when I got that you know literally that rod up my back from the midwife saying you got to get this baby out now that yeah it it, like you said it is some sort of mechanism in the body for survival Mm. for both of you and I just think that midwife just helped egg that on she was there Mm. at the right place at the right time for you absolutely so with the um training that you did with Rochelle did that Mm. help with this do you think that if you didn't engage with that course Mm. things might have been a little bit different for you guys I don't doubt it for a second to be honest I mean yes as I said it wasn't it wasn't the sort of um dream birth that I kind of envisaged um but saying that I learned so much we we both did my husband and I learned so much in that course about you know the realities of hospital birth particularly in Israel which is where we were um we learned about you know um I think things like interventions and informed decision making really really important things um as well as obviously all the comfort measures and the relaxation techniques and the non uh, you know pharmacological forms of pain relief like it was a very comprehensive course it was actually for five it was five weeks and each session was three week, three hours long um so it was a lot of birth preparation and then we had a lovely reunion class afterwards with all all of our babies and we were five couples and we all had boys so we five Five wow. boys, the reunion. Um, so I think that the class um, prepared me. It gave me a lot of knowledge. It gave, well, both of us, as I said, it gave us a really good, thorough understanding of um, the process of, of labor, but what to do. I think very importantly when things kind of don't go to plan, and I don't think enough women are prepared for those things um i think it's important and and very important actually to have high expectations and to go in with a really positive empowered you know frame of mind but i think what can really make some women come completely undone is when the the plan doesn't go to plan um and they're suddenly finding themselves in 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 the scenario of a war this this wasn't in the plan and they they don't know what to do and they really really come unstuck and and that's when the panic sets in that's when the adrenaline surge you know starts you know ramping up in the body um and it becomes incredibly difficult to to remain objective and open-minded and to be able to still find um i guess empowerment even when you know, you're traveling along, you know, plan B or C. And I think that's what the course really did for me because I agree. I think that that birth could have really had very different outcomes had I not really and, you know, strongly advocated for myself that my husband felt, you know, equally empowered to say no, you know, or give us time or no, we refuse this or whatever. Um, And a doula, you know, I learned about doulas. I've never heard the word doula in my life before taking that class. And, um, and Debbie, who was our doula, was, was a godsend for us, you know, because um, there were moments when my husband was absolutely wiped out, exhausted, and she was able to keep kind of keep going or they tag teamed, you know. Um, so, yes, I, I learned so much. And I think that I ended up with, you know, okay, not, not the, you know, um, not not the dream dream birth, but I certainly ended up with um, a good outcome. And I think the fact that I really recovered emotionally, uh, if not physically, but certainly emotionally from the birth, so so well and so quickly afterwards showed that I think that my my headspace was good, you know, and and my emotional well being was really intact. Great. Um, again, it's support, isn't it? This is oh. what each story that I listen to, um, it all just comes down to your support. And if mm. you're going through you know an interesting experience during your birth and you got that beautiful support network after then like you said you your recovery is so much better when you're supported and told that you can do this and allow what's normal to come through in into mothering yeah 100 percent. yeah so uh three months later um, (laughs) you conceived again yeah yeah (laughs) And would you like to tell us about your, your daughter's birth? And- sure. So, um, yeah, as you said, uh, it was tw- <laughs> I found out I was expecting uh, my daughter when my son was 12 weeks old. 
Um, so yeah, so in my classes today, I talk, I, I make a point of talking about, you know, um, postnatal contraception, <laughs> yeah. and and uh, and that old wives' tale of, you know, exclusive breastfeeding doesn't, um, you know, certainly doesn't um, mean that you can't fall pregnant. Um, so yes, anyway, I I I just remember. I, I don't know. I had I had a niggling feeling. It was it, again. It wasn't symptoms. It wasn't like classic pregnant. You know, symptoms. You know, sore boobs and this and whatever. It just I just felt weird. And I thought, oh. So I went and got another you know pregnancy test. And um and unlike with my son, when I was I was literally jumping up and down and leaping for joy. I was so excited to find out I was pregnant with her. I was like. Oh my god, this is not happening. I was still wearing, you know, I was still wearing maternity clothes. <laughs> I hadn't unfairly like lost a kilo from the first birth and I'm like, you you gotta be kidding me. So um yeah, so that was a bit of a shock and um I I was actually scared to tell my mother in Australia. I thought she would have you know, thought I'd lost my mind. Um but um <laughs> anyway Luckily, I had, uh, you know, again, <clears throat> excuse me, I was, I was very blessed to have a very, uh, very healthy, normal pregnancy, um, no surprises along the way, no complications, which, look, considering I had only just given birth, I was I was certainly at higher risk, I think, of, of having some complications because, you know, your body needs to recover from, from pregnancy and birth. It, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, health experts do recommend, you know, at least, you know, uh, 12 months postpartum before you try to conceive again, just to give that bo- your body time to to recover itself. Um, <clears throat> so I barely had that opportunity. But look, saying that I had really, I had a great pregnancy. I was, you know, really happy, healthy. I was tired because I was caring for a little baby. And I remember right towards the end of the pregnancy, we moved apartment and, um, you do some crazy things when you're pregnant, I have to tell you. So we moved from a really, really nice but very tiny one-bedroom. Obviously, clearly we had to move. So we found a two-bedroom, but it was on the top floor of a four-story apartment building with no elevator and um, and, and nowhere to even put things like prams and stuff. There was a a basement that you could kind of go down a level to. So I remember like, you know, being really pregnant, like seriously, seven, eight months pregnant and having my, you know, 10 month old son who was not walking yet, trying to maneuver him and a stroller going down into a basement, coming back up with him and nappy bag and shopping. And I mean, maybe that's what kept me so fit. I don't know. But it was just like, I I remember going to the top and I'm just thinking, I I don't care if this building's on fire. I'm not not leaving again. So, um. Yeah, so that was that was quite tough in those in those last few months with both of them, and then and then when they were both here, you know, they'd both arrived. Again, I had I remember having my daughter in the in the um, in the sling in the front, <laughs> and my son in the car seat, you know, in my other hand, and it, it was it was a nightmare. Anyway, um, with her, um, look. I think a lot of women find with their second or subsequent children that the that the labour and the, and the birth is a lot quicker and a lot less complicated and that was definitely the situation with me um interestingly though i had the same issue with the low amniotic fluid which interesting i've I've learned since is is actually there's there's a a lot of very inconclusive evidence about low amniotic fluid levels in in late pregnancy it's certainly in itself not a reason to induce there needs need to be other factors at play that concern your health care provider about your your health or your baby's health but in and of itself low fluid levels and are, are not necessarily um you know um, a reason to be concerned but um you know they, they did a good job of convincing me that i needed to be concerned um so i think i, I think i was about two or three days past the due date so I was really I was right you know ready to have her any time um but they was they were super keen to induce and um but the big difference was with this one is that when when I arrived at the hospital and again I'm calling Debbie the doula and I said right here we are round two (laughs) he almost exactly they she was born a year and a week after my son so there's literally a year and a week between them um and it was all very deja vu um but thankfully this induction process was a totally different ball game um i remember the the midwives sort of 
looked and when she did an internal, she said, oh, you know, you're already like three centimeters. So I was really already in the early, early stages of labor, which was a wonderful thing because it meant that my body was already doing what it needed to do. Um, so I, I ended up having a very different induction method with her. I had the Foley catheter, which is a balloon catheter. Uh, it gets inserted into the cervix and it kind of uh, self-inflates. Um, and it, it, basically it's a mechanical dilator. And so it dilates the cervix. And then when it gets to a certain point, it's, it's supposed to fall out. <laughs> In my case, it didn't. Um, and that was probably, I'd say, of the entire labor and birth, that was that was the most, um, if anything, I, actually, I would, I, was go, I would go as far to say it was actually quite traumatic because they needed to remove that balloon, which had inflated quite considerably um, intact. And that was more painful than giving birth, literally, you know, um, to that damn balloon. Anyway, um, so it was a, just, yeah. Sorry, just yeah. So that balloon, did that hurt, or did you feel like pain or anything while it was in? It, when As, it was in, it was uncomfortable. Um, you kind of waddle around. I mean, you can walk. You can, you know, it doesn't really restrict your movement. It's uncomfortable, but it was the actual removal of that inflated balloon because it's not supposed to be taken out inflated. It's supposed to fall out. It's supposed to deflate um, automatically. So they had to pull it out, inflate it, which was, which was quite excruciating, yeah. um, you know. But um, certainly by the, by the time it was out, I was probably five or six centimeters, um, and in very strong active labor. And um, but this time, I think I, I did things so differently. You know, I, I refused to get on the bed for any length of time. I, you know, refused to be monitored for you know anything but the absolute bare minimum amount of time which a couple of minutes you know every hour every other hour um, and other than that I was just pacing the halls and bouncing up and down the ball and you know my doula was giving me these awesome massages and so it was it was just another it was just another experience altogether um, and, and and much much quicker I mean I you know I don't think I'm I, I'm not one of these women who have these sort of three four hour labors I mean, it's still pretty long but from beginning of active labor to to her being born was probably about 11 hours, uh, which is a lot quicker than the, the 35 plus hours with my son. Um, and the only thing with her, actually, we, we discovered after she was born was that um, she had a very, very short umbilical cord. Um, so what was happening is that, you know, when I was pushing, she would descend and you'd see a little head kind of, you know, coming and then she'd go back up, which is not in itself um, unusual. That often happens in between contractions. The, the head moves up again. But then the next push, it descends even further and, and so forth. So that wasn't happening. She would just descend the same amount and then she'd pop back up again and she'd come down and she'd pop back up. And they couldn't understand why she wasn't descending any further. Uh, so in the end, she needed a little, little bit of, uh, of uh, vacuum um, and um, but really, really not not that much and it was really not particularly um it certainly wasn't painful or invasive I, I don't think I didn't feel it particularly um and she was fine um and it was and we realized afterwards that you know that that was a good call because she wouldn't have been able to descend on her own um and once she was out they they saw they thought wow this is this is one seriously short umbilical cord um it's probably half the length of a normal cord so she couldn't have descended she just literally didn't have the length in the cord to be able to do it to do it so, um, yeah, so that was really the, the only, if you like, complication with her, but it was pretty minor. I was able to do delayed cord clamping. My husband cut the cord um, and, you know, it, it was just so much easier. <laughs> it was just it was just so, I just remember there was this air of absolute, you know, everybody in the room was relaxed. You know, there wasn't like with him, there was, everybody was, you know, in, in um, you know, it there was so much angst in the room and stress and anxiety and everybody was just, um, and with her, it was just, yeah, everyone was just chilled, you know, and it was, oh, it was just such a different experience with her. Um, so yeah, it was, it was good. And my mum was in, uh, in Israel at that point, she'd come and she'd flown over and it was great because she was at home with my son. Um, so we could be, you know, at the hospital with, you know, together, my husband and my daughter and stuff and not, not ha worry about him at all. Um, and I think having her there as well for the first few weeks after the birth was lovely because I had two babies to look after yeah, now. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't easy. Um, but yeah, just such a different birth experience with her. You know, I just felt so much more in control. 
um, you know, and, and more experience. Like I had been through it before and I'd had a really difficult experience. So pretty much anything was going to be easier and, and better than what I'd, you know, initially experienced with him. Uh, so with the short umbilical cord, mm. did, did she just sort of come up near your, your belly or how does... Yeah, well, yeah. just she she really was... They laid her pretty much right at the bottom of, of my belly and just above the pubic bone. That's as far as she would she would stretch. No. <laughs> they literally were able to sort of pull her out and turn her over on, straight onto the bottom of my tummy and um, and then they waited, you know, I was, I was hell-bent on, you know, delayed core clamping and, so, and they were fine about that. They were, you know, totally on board with that um yeah and so yes it was just very 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 different and um yeah yeah good and, and good easy recovery um yeah was, so, it, was your placenta in better condition oh uh, yeah yeah look? Was, yeah normal healthy what it should look like yep. <laughs> what it didn't look like with him that's for sure so yeah. yes I saw a very very different um uh, placenta with her and she came like as I said it was three days past the due date so she was really um she came at a good time yeah great thank you thank you so much for sharing those stories and um would you just like to sort of I'll, I'll take all your resources and we'll link them up on the mm. website um so people can go to what you've mentioned um with the LeMays I could you just wrap up in a sentence or two mm especially for first-time mums that yeah. are looking for some kind of childbirth education, what LeMays could offer them? Sure. I th- Look, the, the, the couple of things that's really important to know about LeMays, one is that it's not a method. It's not a technique Sorry, or method-based. Oh, it's okay. Um, it, it's not a, like a method-based um, childbirth education program. So it's not like you go into LeMays class and you go, okay, you're going to learn, you know, breathing method A, B, and C or, or this. It's it's a very holistic program. It, it really spans as um, healthy pregnancy, healthy birth, and, and healthy parenting. So, you know, LeMars courses encompass early parenting as well. They don't just sort of stop at the birth. Um, also very importantly, I think, to know for, for parents interested in, in taking LeMars courses that it's it entirely evidence-based. It really prides itself on uh, presenting the most current evidence-based information we have available. Um, and it's really, I think, bottom line, I think Lamas is about empowering women and their partners to make good choices for themselves, for their for their bodies, for their babies. It's about inspiring confidence um, and confidence in your body's ability to give birth. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you're choosing a home birth or a birth center or, a, or you know, more mainstream, um, you know, maternity unit, hospital birth. It's it, it the education applies to all birthing women. Um, and, you know, I think I was a great example of somebody who took really the, um, the core message, you know, when I was preparing for my son's birth because it didn't go to plan. It went about as far from plan as you could possibly get. Uh, I actually looked at my – I saw my birth plan on my computer the other day. I thought, oh, gee, I haven't looked at that for a while. And I was like, mm, okay, well, that didn't happen. Um, but – you know, I learned a lot in that class and my husband learned a lot and we felt empowered and confident and we we knew that we could be powerful advocates for ourselves. And that's, you know, I think that's what I want to give women. I want women to feel that they can, they have choices, they have options and that it's your body and it's your baby and you have the absolute right, you have the right that nobody else has um, to make decisions about your care. And, um, you know, if I can instill confidence in women to do that, then I feel like I've really, I've done my job. So, yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, as we were talking before we, we were recording, we're in this field of um, so much information and it's good to just bring it all back together and keep it quite simple and that that is the key word let us take responsibility and charge of our own bodies and mm. and our births and um just these stories that you told it, it really honors your experience and mm. you know how important support is and how things could have gone different if you didn't choose to you know do this or that and i mm. think to me, it's um, it's really interesting to hear these type of journeys because it, um, if we don't hear all s- sorts of birth stories and all spectrums and embrace the actual journey, 
Um, you know, we might be fa- like you said, you get faced with all sorts of situations in birth. We don't know how it's going to go, but if we're well supported and we yeah. and informed, then we're going to manage it better. After Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of stuff in the media recently about birth trauma, and um, and I think it's slowly becoming, you know, more widely understood that you know, birth trauma is is real, and uh, there's a lot of women who are kind of you know, the walking wounded, really. Um, because they've had such difficult um, and, and traumatic experiences. And, you know, if, if the mother is healthy and the baby is healthy, they don't understand that, you know, well, how can you be traumatized? Like, you know, and it's, you know, the trauma's on the inside. And, um, and I think, again, the support is key and it's critical um, because it really sometimes, you know, the outcome isn't, you know, what you planned, but if you felt supported all the way through and, um, and you just had somebody literally by your side the whole time, it, it just makes, it makes the world of difference. Yeah, exactly right. And I'll also link to, I, um, not naming the journalist, but that recent article oh, that yeah. you um, wrote back about. And I just think that was so brilliantly written um, to, uh, I mean, you know, the fact that we're having to mm. do that all the time is silly. But, um, yeah, I'll link that in the resources too. Right. Um, now, mm. would you just like to share your website with people um, in case they're listening? And sure. Yeah. Um, so it's just birthwellbirthright.com. Yep. Um, so you'll find, yeah, pretty much everything there, um, including this, the uh, the training. So um, I now offer a Lamar's Educator Training Program, which um, so if anybody feels like their calling is to be a childbirth educator, there's, um, I'll be doing trainings next year in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. So, yeah. Great. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ali. Sharing these amazing stories and your journey, and we, I do appreciate it, and I'm sure people will get a lot out of it and connect with you through that. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Did you connect with this episode? Then head over to our website, circleofbirth.com. There you'll find show notes, pictures, resources, and potentially connect with today's storyteller. Don't forget to sign up to be updated with new empowering episodes and content. Help the show grow by contributing a tip in the jar to make sure we can continue to better the podcast and connect more and more to the wisdom and birth and each other. Hey, and don't forget the iTunes rating. This has been another episode of the Birth Share Project. We breathe, we birth, we empower. Thank you.